Right on radio. Right on radio. Welcome back to Right On Radio. My name is Jeff, and I'm joined by Jesse Zaboter today, my guest host. And we have Tom Althaus back today. We're going to continue in this investigation into the script called The Immortals. Now, a lot of other movies and things have come out of this, and there's a lot of proofs that are alleged, and Tom wants his day in court to prove it. So we're giving you news, views, opinions, and interviews today on Right On Radio. But of course, it's all about you making up your mind. So this has been a phenomenal story. It's predicted the future in many, many ways. And it seems that is playing out as we speak right now. So this interview is pertinent to today. It may be pertinent to your future. If I'm correct, and many others who have heard this story think it is somewhat prophetic. And if you go back to the earlier episodes we did with Tom, I think you'll agree that there is a prophetic nature to this. But first, just a couple quick announcements before I bring Jesse on. First of all, I want to plug Tom's website, which is Red Pill Rising. Org. And by the way, you can find the previous episodes now. They've uploaded them onto that website. And it's a good website to go to to see a lot of the evidences in what we are talking about today. But I also want to point out to you one of the most significant and comprehensive websites on the internet with everything that we talk about when we talk about child trafficking, when we talk about SRA abuse, when we talk about all of this stuff is on illuminatethedarkness.com. Visit illuminatethedarkness.com and illuminate your mind. Also, you can go to a Patreon there and you can support Jessie because we're really trying to get her full time in this. She does work as a chaplain as well, but we need Jessie full time in this battle please help out and support where you can jesse we had a great reaction from our last episode we did it was a little bit of a different episode we talked on strategic planning and we threw in some other nuances and then we had a surprise strategic thing that you and i have been planning in the background and that was a retreat and we had a ton of people interested in this retreat. That's amazing. I'm really glad they were interested, but I was, I think I remember you gave a homework assignment. I was a little disappointed that nobody did their homework. That's right. I think they maybe got too excited about our homework that we did and forgot that they had their, ladies and gentlemen, the homework simply was write down what cleverness means research the actual meaning and it's important because we are in a strategic war right now and i believe the lord is calling us to be clever so if you didn't listen to the episode go back to it because i think you're going to find some life tools 
that are good for you in it. And there'll be more stuff coming up on the retreat and some of the planning. Uh, in fact, I'm going to be doing some surveys and I'm hoping you'll participate in those surveys or even just leave, leave comments, you know, to get the right, to get the right people there. Look, it's not going to be a free thing. It can't be, there's going to be costs associated, but you know, we could be in a exotic Caribbean Island. We could be in Mexico. We could be in Idaho. Listen, it could be all kinds of different places, but it depends. So, you know, I want you to think about what your, your vacation budget is and things like that, because it is going to be like a vacation, but it's going to be a vacation where you actually grow as a person and, and get to mingle with like-minded individuals. What do you think, Jesse? I think it sounds fantastic. I don't know if I'm up for the third world country part, but <laughs> I'm a United States girl. I'll You're just be honest. <laughs> Maybe Canada. I've been to Canada a couple times, but almost got swallowed by a sea monster. I'll have to share that story sometimes. <laughs> well, one of the things that I consider when doing a retreat, and this is my own opinion, and, and by the way, this isn't about me. It's about you, the good listenership. Uh, but what I like is I like to have no distractions. So if we're renting cabins somewhere and we have to go to the, we have to go to the grocery, we all have to cook, we have to do this and that. I want no distractions, uh, you know, absolutely. Yep. You, so, you want it to be peaceful, quiet, so you can focus and that's, that's right. And, and make it a really enjoyable vacation at the same time. All right. <laughs> okay. So again, we're going to follow the same protocols that we did last time. Uh, I'm going to try to keep, uh, well, not try. I'm going to keep Tom kind of focused on the story. We're going to leave the evidences and stuff out. I want to get the story out. Jesse, your job, as always, is to pipe in with the spiritual stuff and the connotations because, first of all, our audience loves when you do that. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're going to keep it on track that way. So just a quick summary, if you did not listen to our last episode, we're doing these every Tuesday. Uh, the last episode, screenplay number one, you'll want to listen to that because it'll bring you up to speed. But for those who did capture it, we have the main character introduced. We, we introduced a couple of the characters. The main character ends up in the future, isn't supposed to meet his daughter, who's now a senior citizen, and then goes another 200 years in the future. And that is where we left off. Good morning, Tom. Welcome back to Right On Radio. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning, Jesse. Nice to be here. <laughs> Roger that, Tom. <laughs> Sorry, inside <laughs> joke. <laughs> so, Tom, I, I'm just going to let you go with it. Uh, you remember where we left off. We were just kind of jumped into that 200 years in the future. Pick up the story from there. All right. Well, what's happens is um, <clears throat> we just left him <clears throat> where his daughter had died. And he's brought back with um, the Smith agent counterpart uh, telling him that he's in the future, that his family's gone and only his daughter remains. But he has he's not allowed to see her. And we learn that the Smith agent is actually our Neo counterpart's handler. He's assigned to handle him. And that happened a lot in my life, so that goes into the story. The idea is the architect is letting uh, uh, Neo live, come back, has a purpose for him that we don't know, knows all our free will. And the Smith agent is supposed to handle him 
but not allowed to take them out because that stimulates the mind of the architect who knows every choice and wants to have a mind stimulated, not atrophied from lack of stimulation. So what happens is we see that the Neo character has lost his daughter. I'll, I'll say it in the form of matrix analogies or characters. And so that character has lost his daughter. He goes to the future having lost everything. He's walked outside and seen the three people in the trench coat staring him down, which became the cover. And uh, it's over. He just walks on. We join him in the future, roughly about 200 years later, I believe. And uh, he's in this program, this immortal program. And he has a friend. He meets his friend. Right after the train station, he meets a friend. And that friend is a former agent, which I thought was pretty cool, uh, who has had his, pro his memories erased. But those memories still include images of children being harmed and things like that in the back of his mind. He feels that, he senses that. He knows he's done horrible things. This friend, Mendel, is now, um, you know, best friends of our Neo counterpart. And he's uh, basically warning him because they see a, a man in the distance who's watching them. And this former agent, Mendel, knows that this man is an agent. He's warning him. But our character recognizes him from his offices in the past, in our time. His name's Steve. And uh, here he is now an agent, the CIA agent of a lower echelon CIA department is now working for this one world order. And he is a top agent. So what happens is we learn that he's hooked to monitors, a room of monitors, and that the Smith character is work looking through his eyes, looking right through him, just like they do with Bane, looking right through him and giving commands. And those commands are reading out on the screen in green on this uh, man's vision, Steve's vision. And so it's, he's described as robot-like. He's looking at him robot-like, without any feelings, nothing. And so, of course, our character wants to go up to him. Hasn't seen him for a very long time. And wants to communicate. Our character, Mendel, the former agent, saying, don't go near him, don't go near him, you know. And, but our guy goes right up to him, has my uh, So, Tom, who, who it, it, in, just in comparison to the, the, the Matrix, who, who would Mendel be? That's interesting because Mendel, what they did was they stripped it and made everything dumbed down. So they really did. So when they lifted um, Mendel, you have to go into the Wachowski's mind and go, okay, we don't want to do this. Like the person called me and said, they have no idea what's going on in the story. So I bas basically Mendel becomes, I would say, the agent who is very ambiguous. This agent in the Matrix, um, when Neo goes underground, gives a gift of a chip, right? A large chip, I had a small chip, it was a large chip, to, uh, to be given to Neo. And so Neo's in this underground city, right, this island, and he gets a knock on the door and he's given this chip. He's told that this agent has given it to him, basically, if I remember correctly. That would be the closest thing to Mendel, who stepped in to give information and tried to help him. Okay, so and the character was clear. very much downplayed in the movie, yes. but in yours, it's significant. It is very significant because we've left a situation where, if you recall, um, if I talked about it, uh, Alan um, is Morpheus in mine, and he pops up in the back of the car before we have this transition, this assimilation, they call it, into the new world, uh, the One World Order. He is... Um, Paps up in the back of the seat and says his house has been firebombed, his family's dead, what's going on? That had been his best friend at the office, at the CIA office, right? And knew that something was wrong 
and that our character had sold out basically to save his family that elevator scene so he pushes him out of the car betraying basically turning his back on his best friend because he's got that jacked bug to the back of the neck the collar right that was put on by the mole device by the agent which is what they used to so what happens with Mendel, we find out, is that the same scenario reverses where our character, our Neo, Neo counterpart, is faced on the run going to Mendel for help. Mendel turns his back on him to save his family also, which is the key thing they use in our time, right? It's spelled right out there as a warning. That's what they're going to use. And so he's basically saying, um, you know, stay away from my family. Same thing. So the Mendel character is crucial because that's also how he's going to get into the Cortex building. The Wachowskis and lifting it don't make any sense. Like, basically, uh, if I understand correctly, Neo and Trinity get into the Cortex building without much opposition. Why? In mine, the reason is because Mendel is reinstated. See, the architect had a plan. He knows everything we're going to do and what he needs us for. So Mendel is brought back, and there, the Trinity counterpart, Neo, enter the Cortex building, which has the seamless walls, so you have to, you know, the hidden doors, the corridors which we kept and are have, and they just enter using this download of the Smith's memories. And so they get in there and the only one facing him off, it really is Mendel reinstated. And he says, I've been reinstated. And he says like, you know, I'm supposed, it's supposed to cause you, you know, shock, despair, whatever, to see your friend, you know, reinstated. And he says, but basically he says, I'm not going to do it. He says, I'm, you know, friendship, friendship, you know, I'm not going to do it. And he's terminated. So that's how Trinity and Neo get into the building, basically unopposed. Interesting. Can I interrupt here? Mm-hmm. I have a question. Did you originally come up with Mendel giving him the chip, or, or was that something they gave that character in the movie? Great question. What happens is, in mine, they combine a lot of things, like the train station thing was supposed to be two train stations. The one who actually gives the chip is the Oracle. That's the one that gives the chip to Neo character. Was the chip originally in your screen or was that something they asked? My screenplay. It's my screenplay. Okay. That's interesting because um, you have, um, there's survivor stories. One of our high level individuals talks, her father worked under Hitler and his job, like he, he was part of the Masonic groups with, um, different high-level elite Masons who were working at the universities or at different churches. So it could be like some of the high-level Lutheran, Baptist churches, things like that. So every week, her father's job was to go, and he would go visit these different leaders who were high-level Masons, and he would give them a poker chip. Mm -hmm. And that poker chip was basically like with the Masons, you can enter the door for a ritual or a ceremony or a secret meeting, either by word, by a sign, or by a token. So it represented a token as an access code into certain places. So it's interesting that you even have it. He gets that before they get entrance into a certain building. So that's kind of interesting. That's also interesting. You just hit something too in the light of um, in real life, in my real life, the CIA operative, Lauren Holmberg, is in the Masons. He invites me in the Masons and he gives me that token. He gives me gifts. And uh, I have one of those gifts we just downloaded um, that shows the Mason symbol on it. 
it it has his name it has the date and uh happy birthday tom and he gave me these exotic gifts and so it's interesting he was the one that said you know um your mind's gonna be blown with all the knowledge you're gonna have um you're one of the elite now don't try to make a difference and uh we're fascinated by your story he said we are fascinated by your story so in essence it, it just made me realize that it was the same thing as the screenplay where the agent smith basically is agent lauren holmberg in my real life and, and ladies and gentlemen what you're going to discover from this and and if if you didn't pick it up, the episode title, the last time we did it with Tom, was actually Life Imitates Art. And the reason I put that in is what's becoming so evident is Tom has been forced to become the character that he wrote about, and they've created this whole <laughs> screenplay that Tom is actually living now it's incredible and when we after we finish the screenplay we're going to get into the evidences and this is going to come out very strongly but as we continue with this screenplay remember tom is playing this in real life i shouldn't say playing you're you're living your life and this is all happening around right. you so right. tom let, let's get back to the script now this is fascinating i was going to say too just real quick here is you're absolutely right they are forcing me in my own screenplay and contacts are saying so and that's why my sons are dead in the screenplay, he loses his children, they die. And the thing is also the idea that they you know, they named Neo Thomas A. And my dad's name, my birthday, my high school's in there and all that stuff. And the and actually put Tom Althouse, Thomas Park, Tom Park Althouse across the screen in Nanomatrix. It's there in a graphic. So you're right. They're doing it on purpose. So here we are at um what happens is there's two versions that I had. And uh, the one on set has a train station saying train station saying later later, but they had both. And the train station scene with a little girl actually occurs in the one after he loses his little girl. So we join him in the future, and there's the little girl. He's at a train station scene, leaving the um, people who are outside the program, that city outside the program, where the liquid mirrors are used as security devices at the train terminals where you can only enter if you're in the program. And that scene was in that one version right there. And so it's showing him a, a woman pushing forward a little girl, saying, it's your daughter, take her, her name's Brittany, which they changed to Sante, Brittany. And it's crowded. There's all kinds of people pushing their kids forward, like kinder transport, getting them out of this terrible life, this, you know, where they need food traders and black market to survive and all this stuff. And you have this, like the Menorinji or whatever kind of thing going on. So, and you have these um, terror squads, these um, rape squads, hit squads that are basically stirring up the mind for the architects, you know, you know, to give them stimulation, where they're agents that are allowed to do whatever they want to these people outside the program. And that's the horror of it. So the Wachowskis tame that down. But the thing is that that's actually what's going on. In this sequence of scenes, you have um, the Neo character looking back and this lady screaming, it's your daughter, take her, take her. And he looks, looks like the daughter, he just left in our pur scene purposes, you know, the scene before. And so he, she has a little tattered doll, a little doll in, in her hand, which is used for tying in, like I remember, I don't know if I told you, but the intros are done 15 minutes into the place, which now they do all the time on Netflix and everything. But it's like, that was done like that on purpose to give a montage of different unlikely scenes. Like how can they come together to stimulate the audience to figure out, okay, look, all the pieces do come together to stimulate the mind to get the audience immersed into the, the piece. 
they do that in Walking Dead too. They'll show you this scene, that scene, that scene from what's coming up, how it's going to tie together. That's what I was pitching. Tom, so, sorry, just just one quick observation. Uh, when you're talking about, you know, you need that chip to get in and stuff like that. Just think about in relative terms today. What are they talking about? Uh, you know, Qantas Airlines is saying, unless you have proof of vaccination, you can't travel. Uh, it's been floated out there by Bill Gates. Unless you have proof, proof of vaccine, vaccination, you cannot uh, go and uh, and work, you know, because you might not be safe. And, you know, there's this whole campaign. And, and by the way, you know, and Elon Musk is obviously, we're going to get into this in the evidences, but he's been talking about basically, you know, making us into partially human, partially robots. And right. one of the delivery systems could be the vaccine. vaccine. Right. What you're seeing is you're seeing a lifting of the ideas. It's like Bill Gates has my work. Elon Musk has my work. What they did was they gave it to different people. Bill Gates even said that he really didn't exceed anything. He just dropped out of school, took things from different people and borrowed them. So Bill Gates was given the ideas I had back when in 1981, when I was in Millersville University, I went forward and pitched forward the whole idea of, I actually said Windows. And this Immortals piece, The Matrix Story, actually is a furtherance of what I had for Windows and an internet where we're all connected from a central learning area. And that's why I call the agents area central. And so really you're just seeing the development of a man's ideas into his work further and further, which they've been farming and taking from like bleeding a bear for bile. And so what's going on is this is all stuff I was given because I felt, you know, I felt tested and, and would I have a good heart a heart that would be humble and willing to translate whatever I was given for a better world to lift humanity. And I said, I would no, no ego involved. And that's why they say egotistic and all that stuff. They're trying to counter that and say narcissism. No, not a bone of it in me. But the thing is that, yes, I was given this idea in 81 of a windows opening where you expound on information, you open another window and expound on it. And I told that to my professors, three professors that I had at Millersville university in 1981. And the reason I told them was because like most people that are like kind of geniuses, they get bored with school. I did too. I didn't want to be there at that university. I wanted to be at Villanova. So what happens is I just let my grades go at the last session. F's right down the way. I just didn't care. And so here I'm not taking this computer class. I'm not even taking it. <clears throat> so I'm going to flunk it too. I didn't care. And so what happened was um, I attend the last day because I had an idea. So I go the last day of the class. They go, well, you never attended. I don't know, but I have an idea. So I share with these three professors that are from California, guest professors at Millersville University, 1981. And I'm telling them, here's my idea. You have this um, central learning area, which sends out to each of the homes. Schools will become a thing of the past. You have a computer situation where you're actually looking at a you know, color you like. It can work as a phone. <clears throat> it can work, excuse me, as a movies information if you want to know something further it expounds by opening a window to expound further on that further information from the central area and then you can expound that window again well that's how bill gates became the richest man in the world wasn't his idea and I so these gentlemen went see this online. one coming tom wow <laughs> well i never really talk about it because you know first i was gonna have my day in court then i'd share but it's time it's time before i go it's time and i I love life, I affirm life, I love my last surviving son, and there's no way I would hurt myself or anybody else, but that's why they're pronouncing 302s. So you've got a situation where here's a man who came up with Windows, um, GPS, um, Surrey, um, uh, Neuralink, 
and all this other stuff. And it's like, no, I never got any credit. I wouldn't never saw a dime. In fact, they made it worse. Now it's like they're claiming I owe them money and stuff. But inside these circles, they know I did it. That's why I've been courted by people like Lauren Holmberg to be brought in. But I keep answering the question wrong. They keep saying, Tom, don't try to make a difference. You're one of the elite now. Don't try to make a difference. You're going to things are going to blow your mind. You're going to love life. You're one of the, even Sophia Stewart. I recorded a call from Sophia Stewart saying this. Your life is over as you know it. You're one of the elite now. You're a celebrity. But I always answered differently. I always said, well, I want to make a difference. I want to help people. This screenplay we're talking about right now, what's going on in it? The whole thing basically in this screenplay is that the people outside the program are being shafted. They're being, they're going to be thrown away. They're considered garbage. And I think they have value. And so it's like, I believe that all life matters. It doesn't fit what they're accusing me of. So my writings are like that. My children's plays are like that. When they took away my work, I started writing children's musicals, try to give them Broadway quality art, and they got awards. But the thing is that I became that middle oracle sort of sense, not in the sense of great knowledge maybe, but, but the idea of I want to help the other side. I want to help the people they're going to throw out. This screenplay talks about a new world order back in 92. It talks about how you're going to see a phase where elite are going to start disappearing. Families of elite are going to end up disappearing. That's happening. Why are they disappearing? Are they being exterminated, executed? No, not in the screenplay. They are giving, they are being taken away because they're not aging anymore. There's a program that's installed in our time where we no longer age. And they've been experimenting at Stanford and um, IBM and others. They've got it now. They say they have it. Exactly like the screenplay says, they'd say that it's not for the general public. It's not cleared for them. It's only for the elite. And so what happens in the story is, if this doesn't blow your mind, the elite are given plausible reasons for disappearing because you're not supposed to see them not aging anymore. And what happens is they're not being executed. They're being prepared to be brought back in the new world order when the rest of us are eliminated. So right now, the rules over the eyes, elite are being pulled out and that's exactly what happens in the screenplay. Our Neo counterpart character is told he's going to be assimilated, but his family will be allowed to join him if he behaves himself, words I was told when I was being courted. And if he behaves himself, then they will join him with immortality in the new world order. That's what we're saying. And we've, we've addressed this anti-aging thing uh, on the program before. Uh, Jesse would probably be able to call out exactly the name of it, as, as I could. Uh, but make no mistake, God has limited life to 120 years, and they're not getting past it. They're being lied to. They might look young. It's, it's the uh, preferred drug of the elites in Hollywood and, and everywhere else. Uh, and it's extremely sinister. Well, that's the thing from the Immortals screenplay. As, it, as If we look at it, let's frame it as, because that's a discussion going on now a lot with a lot of circles, even on the other side in Disney and things like that. Is Tom receiving prophetic words or is this just luck? You know, is he just having to hit it or is someone leaking it to him from the inside while he's been courted and that person has to die? So it's like this whole thing of, and I've been being very quiet about that, you know, am I getting this as a download from people inside the organizations 
or am I getting this as prophetic light? And um, I'm supposed to keep that non-disclosed because they turn on each other. They're trying to find out who leaked it. And that's what's going on. That's one of the reasons where you said about being clever. So I don't let my sources be known. And if those sources are God, I let them think it's their sources too. So that's how we play their game. If we're smart enough to write the Matrix story, those of us that write these pieces, we're smart enough to play their game. If we have a God that's powerful, guiding us on what moves to make, we can outwit them. So that's, it and is- And God can certainly talk to you through other people as well, which should true. be their inside people. So doing it right now- They, they need to keep guessing. There. Yeah, that's it, keep guessing. And that's my, that's my role, I believe. That's how I'm still here. So basically I'm like that Oracle character in a sense where I'm not trying to say it for praise or anything or importance, that doesn't interest me. What I'm saying is that I'm in that position where both sides have decided there's worth, there's value. And it's interesting where I've gone through that time where it's been the other side that has lifted me up and said, you know, you're, we're fascinated by your story. You know, you're liked by all these people. We, we want to give you top positions. We want to, um, you're going to have a life that's going to be fantastic. We'll even provide your own wife. So here they are doing this thing where I've been treated better by the dark side than I have by those I've been trying to help. And those that I've been trying to help often have, unless it's their insiders doing it, doing nasty comments and putting down while I'm trying to help them escape what's coming. So it's been a real quandary of that just exploded. Did you hear that? Yep. That there's nothing, nothing happened. What was that that exploded? It's a bowl. It was sitting on the table and it just went boom. It didn't even fall off the table. It just exploded. Let's pray. Okay. <laughs> I think I let too much out. Nope. We're not going to worry about it. Heavenly Father, we just come again. Any dark forces, Lord, and the evil one that may be attacking right now, we just rebuke it in your name, Father. And I ask that you would send your angels and put a hedge of protection around each of us as we're sharing and talking. Lord, we ask for the authority and the permission to go deeper today, that we may say these names publicly, that we may tell the story in truth, and that people may hear the truth, Lord. And we ask that you would bind the evil one and any of anybody working for him, that they may do nothing about it. For you have said all things will be brought to light, all things will be laid bare. We ask your permission to do so today, Lord, in your powerful name. Amen. And you know what? I'm just feeling that was allowed to happen because, first of all, you, we've all heard of this saying, the glass ceiling. Well, we're breaking this. What's, what's held you down, what's not been able to break through, has broken through. And I believe it is explosive. Also, I take note that it was a bowl. Yeah, I mean, I can show you the picture of it. It's it's laying here now, all over the place. Um, here, I'll I'll turn. I'll just turn the computer. And nothing bumped. Nothing fell. Nothing slid. It just exploded. 
Mm. So there is another part of this that I feel like here I'm given the internet, I'm given Windows, I'm given Surrey, I'm given Neuralink. This is 92, I'm given Neuralink. Why is it now showing up? Um, GPS, um, Jack's, where it's like um, memory, library of memories, um, the idea of the chip, um, the idea of the chip that can be diseased and um, a little emotional, but it's like it could be uh, where the neural link, they don't tell you this. Elon Musk is not telling you this. We should not do the neural link. We should not do this technology. And as the person who came up with this technology or was given this, we should not do it because what's going to happen is he can do a download or they can do a download of information all at once to many, many people. And they can own basically your memories. They can give your memories to somebody else. They can have people take your place. They can have um, what is most precious to you taken from you. Your memories, you will become dependent on that neural link for those thought processes. You'll lose your ability to use your discipline for memory. And a plane's flying over right now, a spotter plane. You can hear it right now. So basically that's what's going on. It's like, why was I given all this information? Why was I given all this? What purpose? And why was I given this with the idea, the stipulation that, um, okay, be humble, and just give what you're given to write and don't alter it and don't change it. Then there was imagery that was given me and I hope I don't lose you guys on this, but this is what I have to say. Where do we come from? Who's our God? I was given, I would see his face. Now I know people are gonna go, okay, well, crazy town, let's tune out. But as the writer of the story, as this thing circles now this plane, the writer of the story was given something wouldn't we be given something? Wouldn't they look for somebody if there was a, a creator or powers that in our time wanted to take everything in the end times, change everything, give us a chance to do it right. Wouldn't they pick somebody who had a humble heart that wasn't a dignitary, wasn't um, somebody who uh, had a high up station in this world, but actually somebody who's one among us who simply has a faith and wants to do good. What would the cost be? What would you call that? What would you use as far as biblical words to convey that idea of what you're being handed? And in mine, it was called the cup of Christ. Doesn't mean I'm a Christ, I'm not. Doesn't mean I'm some kind of savior, I'm not. What it means is you will have this cup that will be the sufferings and alienation, um, rejection. You'll have betrayal you'll have loneliness, you'll have loss, but you have to drink it and it won't be taken back. But if you do it right, if you complete this journey and this calling, it'll be taken from you. And that's what I'm doing. So I don't want it, but I have it. So all this information comes through and I'm basically just writing what I was given. And it became this. And in here's everything, everything. So when people talk nowadays about, well, the, you know, they're doing executions on the uh, elite, they're cleaning house, I would whisper through my art, maybe not. Maybe simply they're taking the elite and making them look like they're dying, telling you that, making you feel good about that because the wool's over your eyes. And they're just taking those elite and preparing them for a reset, a one world order where the world is sustainable and you're considered in the way of that. 
And so what they're going to do is um, feel more clever than you and replace you with their own. And a one world society forms by these people getting this promised immortal program, this red batch, where everybody gets to join that are elite and the rest are cut away. So our world becomes a paradise again and they rule it. Now, Robertson's plan is they have a theocracy where it's one, where he's not a second class citizen anymore. That's where Jay Sekulow comes into play. And people are actually saying Jay Sekulow is good. He's a good man. He's, he's going to, uh, he is Robertson's main guy. Can I do a share screen real quick since we diverted? Sure. Here, I want to show you this. Uh, See if it comes up. If you can disable it or enable it. Yep, you're okay. Okay. Well, watch this if this can come up. Can you see me okay? Yes. That, you see my screen? Not no. yet. Tell when you do. Can you see anything? Yep. Yeah, we see your screen now. Now watch. This is very unpopular right now. They've done a lot of PR on this and a lot to get people who are actually being harmed by these people, this one guy, to think that he's on their side. This is Jay Sekulow. That's Jay Sekulow. He's standing on the side of Trump, right? The right-hand side of Trump, if I'm not mistaken. Look at this. This is from the Law and Justice Center. This is their organizational EIN. CEO and President, Dr. J. Allen Sekulow. Chairman, Dr. M.G. Pat Robertson. Board side eight, tax deductible, yes. This gentleman right here is the worst man on the planet. I'm telling you, yet he's being considered our savior. Somebody who's going to help Trump bring us justice. He is not. This is the Antichrist right hand. And people don't understand that, if we're going to use a term. Jay Sekulow is a monster. He works for Pat Robertson directly. Pat Robertson blames me for the loss of his presidential election when he's grooming me to be the face of the Christian coalition. He still blames me, still says that God was going to have him win his two tries at it, and still blames me for the loss. That's part of the reason what's going on. Right here is Lauren Holmberg. Right here is the gift Lauren Holmberg gave me. Right here is a blow up. Happy birthday, Mason symbol. Right here is Lauren's signature, the Pelican. Are you familiar with the order of the Pelican? I'm being told now it goes along with the idea of like Pelican brief, where if you spill the beans, you're a dead man. Um, well, it is an established Masonic order, but that would be with any Masonic order. If you spill the beans, they're going to silence you. That's why my son died in the shallow swimming pool on the military base, the Masonic death for a traitor. Yeah. Lauren Holmberg tried to have me moved out. So what we have here is a situation where, I mean, it goes on and on, where it's all connected. Since I was being groomed to be the insider, and people can scoff at it all they want. All I want to do right now is get the truth out so that this cup can be taken from me. I don't want it. I just want to finish the job. All right, so I'm compelled to say something, and, and Tom, I'm not discounting what you've said. I'm not going against what you've said, but it's important because I want people to think for themselves. Sure. 
there's also other possibilities. There's other possibilities that Jay Sekulow is one of the most gifted lawyers in the United States. He was hired by a prominent guy. I'm just giving this as an alternative. Oh, you forget oh, my response. Hold on, hold on, okay. hold, hold on. And it is possible that he has gone through redemption of his own. So I'm just saying that uh, I don't want to leave. And, and legally, I think I have to say something like oh, that. Sure. I agree. I agree. I don't mind saying what I'm saying and they can come at me all they want. They already have. And I hold to what you're saying. The insiders for me are saying that this man is a monster, that he is obviously from what I showed you, Robertson's right hand man. He's supposed to facilitate a one, new one world order, which Robertson controls. And so he has offices in Jerusalem, and everything else. His job as the head of the uh, Law and Justice Center is to make sure Robertson is a, not a second class citizen, quote, that he has control of the judges and people in different countries, including Jerusalem and Israel at Jerusalem offices. Military. But, but Robertson's time is done. Jay Sekulow is working for Robertson. Now, if Robertson dies, Jay Sekulow could free himself. What I know from the inside of CBN network, um, what they do tied to Warner Bros. What they do is they keep journals like the CIA and FBI operatives. They keep journals on say Robertson or their own heads, but they only release those journals and only do good when it is beneficial to them. Lauren even talked about this, Lauren Holmberg. So they're gonna write their books after they're clear. They're gonna benefit as much as possible off of these corrupt leaders. And then they're gonna turn it around like the 48 ways of power and win from the other throne when it's time. That's why the immortal's ending has the architect's son begging Christ's forgiveness when he sees there's no way out, see? So you play both sides. That's their rule book. Jay Sekulow, I can say with a fact, um, he headed the one case and brags about it. You can check online. He is bragging about winning the case against the Palestinians in the Gaza Strip where their houses were being bulldozed away. He's bragged about destroying their rights by claiming they're not a sovereign state. And he's bragging that's the loophole he used to end that investigation and case. So what you're doing is you're seeing these people using bragging rights to rig injustice through. And anybody who does that is not a good person. I don't care what you frame it, it can't. So Jay Sekulow is one bragging about that. He is Robertson's attack dog. Now in the future, he may have a change of heart and hopefully our program will help him do so. Because I'm told they follow everything I do and they're never gonna stop. So maybe us doing this right now and your kind words for him will prompt him to make a good choice. Well, it was, listen, it's just an opposing point of view. I'm not okay. saying my no. point of view is fact. I'm just giving an opposing point of view. No, no, I don't know. I'm glad we got, I'm glad this popped up. Maybe that's why the bowl break. I don't know. Because it's <laughs> on a new tangent, right? Because it's not something I would have touched, but I'm touching the it now. two people that Lauren works with. What's that? We're the top two people Lauren works with. Or he would work with the head of the CIA. And um, the FBI is connected with them, Secret Service, too. So Lauren Holmberg was not assigned by accident because what happened was on Maui, when I was lifeguarding one of the jobs I was doing, uh, this gentleman came up and said that he was, you know, one of the 12 families on Maui, one of the 12 operative families. I was being brought into the group. Artists would are usually be, recruited. Would that be Brennan? 
I don't remember his name. He came up and said that he was like this rock star in Europe or something. He was bragging about his life and what he did. And he, he's like, there's 12 of us. Basically, that was supposed to make me feel secure, I guess. But yeah. I know that, yeah. What, what's interesting is that you have with that picture, um, it's a simple name for it could be a scavenger curse. The The pelican, besides being a direct symbol of the order, is a scavenger bird. Um, you have feathers that are used in black magic to bring curses where wherever the feathers drop, you know, is where the curse is. Um, So you have the light, you know, it's got the picture of the sun in the background, the light shining on the curse. So it's dawning. That's what that would be seen as. And the three birds represent the Isis trinity. So the goddess heads. So um, the goddesses are the ones who use the feathers in black magic. Um, Depending on the bird feather, you know, if it would have been crows, it would have been death. Because it's pelicans, it's basically like a devouring curse. Oh, I see. So everything that is yours will be devoured and wasted, used up, come to nothing. That fits with the... Um, 380 in the first graphic in the Matrix story. I'm glad we're covering all this too. And thank you, Jeff, for that insight and put to and you, Jesse, too. I respect you guys greatly and what you feel. Um, in the insert in the Matrix story, you have our Matrix, you know, Matrix movie, the first one, because we have that graphic with the high school and everything. My birthday, my dad's name, my name. And then you have in that column TA4099, yeah, I was. And then the 380. And they're into numerology. And the 380 basically what I saw was it was to that you give up your most cherished worldly possessions, you know, to prepare for your death. And it's like, it goes along. You just reminded me of what you're just saying. So this is all interlaced. The interesting thing is they're all connected. They'll give you the, one of the greatest things they do in their pony show is to make it look like they're all disconnected when they're all connected. Now we're told they're factioning, but it's their group that's telling us that. So are they factioning and to have their own implanted, I would love to meet Jay Sekulow someday. In fact, there's a good friend of mine named Christopher who's been doing a lot of hard work and he gets Jay Sekulow emails all the time, he told me now, all the time, including Eric Trump. So he said his life changed after he started contacting me. He got hit on all the time, like hammered with this stuff. So Boyd of Boyd, James Boyd of Norfolk, the submitting attorney who submitted all this stuff and has all the tracking numbers and everything else. They tried to get him not to say that. They even had Rankin, the attorney they supplied on Maui, who's with Warner Brothers Group, to say that he didn't have it. He, they talked to him, he didn't have anything. Well, I talked to him, he had everything. And he gives this affidavit that shows he has everything under the sun to prove what we're talking about. And that's where that comes in. But anyway, so what's interesting is we connect all the dots with all this stuff. I'm just looking for his testimony. It's like we have all the dots connected and we have sides flipping back and forth. And the clever, if you talk about clever, one of the things they do, like the 48 ways of power, the one download that supplied wife downloaded, it all comes together, is you play both sides. You keep it gray. You never commit or say too much. And for the one side, you say what they want to hear. And for the other side, you say what they want to hear. For those of us that are grounded in the truth and stay steady, they even say in their films, like, you know, Hell on Wheels and different things like this, their series, 
that if you are that way, you'll be destroyed. You'll be eaten up. If you don't chameleon around and flux to what they want to hear, you'll be destroyed. If you try to follow a faithful and uh, straight shooter tech, uh, point of view or presence or way of being, you're going to get eaten up and die. And they even justify that is you were made that way to be food for the powerful. They'll even use that terminology. So here I am still alive, but you can see the where. But the thing is that, you know, I have one son alive. Well, two are dead. What are the chances? And the one daughter in the bed of the guys who were the uh, planted attorneys from the beginning, they're Rios. So what's going on? The thing is we have to showdown now. We have a showdown. Is it truth and God? that's going to win the day or is it they that are going to win the day by using deception and playing all these angles and burning evidence and destroying it and things like this and, and buying people off. My ranks are thin. I've had lost so many people. It's incredible. In fact, Christopher, this good friend, I used to call him Morpheus, you know, he's been approached by even Illuminati and even showed me the picture of the woman and the things she was promising. He had it. He had it, but he's one of the few that actually showed me. Then he got approached again, lost his home, everything else. They're making it very unattractive to be around me, even though I came up with Windows and I don't have a dime, where Bill Gates became one of the richest men in the world. But at the same time, I know the pros and the cons of all this technology. That's also given. So that tells me a benevolent force has given this information because it's not just giving me a hard sell of, here's what you can use it for to make money. It's given this information of like, this is the good and bads of this. This is what's coming try to make a difference. So here we are doing this program and I don't think this would have come out any other way. So Jeff, I'm glad we have differing views on Jay Sekulow. because I think that's very important. Oh, I, I don't necessarily disagree with you, Tom. <laughs> I don't necessarily disagree with you. I'd like to see him be the good man. He's PR to be, but you know, and I, I'll look forward to that because what I'm understanding is that, me and my last surviving son, my manager, her daughter, that kind of stuff, that there's a chance we're actually being invited in. We're actually being given um, great offers to be brought in as long as I don't claim my work, give up the claim on the screenplay and write for them and create, because I have 14 other screenplays, give the work over and just help their writers get acclaim. Then I'll have a wonderful life apparently with security guards, everything else, home, boat, you name it. And I have tapes of those calls. So what's interesting is... Yeah, it, it, it's yeah. not worth your soul, Tom. Eternity is a long time, my friend. Well, there's, <laughs> so. there's one thing I'm supposed to say, and I hope I don't lose you guys. Because where do we come from? Where do we come from? I wanted to get back to that. Yeah, who's our God? I am being given, and this will reveal me completely. You can call me dark, you can call me light, you can call me whatever. But... I have a responsibility to share at the right time what I saw. I wrote the Matrix story, The Immortals. I talked about the tech I was given. It's in there. It's copyrighted. It's shown predating Elon Musk, Bill Gates, things like that. So I have all this. Why? For this one reason, to relay what I believe is our origins and where we come from and why and who our creator, Father God is, that I did see a face. It sounds nuts. I know it. And I don't want to, I just want to be the average guy out there playing ball with my kid. That's what I want to do. I didn't want to be here. I didn't want to do this. I'm happy not to in interviews. But they're telling me that's what keeps my son alive. So here we have the attention of the world. Maybe not all the people that are 
outside of what's going on in the know. But those in the know are following what we say. So where do we come from? And I got that weird feeling on me. My skin crawls. It's like I could lose friends. What I believe and what I've seen is that yes, our God exists. Our creator exists. And we were created. We were seated. We were created. There's parallel universes. And now our technology and our science and our faith are starting to combine. And we were created. We were given a balanced universe, a created universe with all that needed to make it beautiful and basically almost perfect, all the ingredients. And in most universes, they say it either expands too fast or it collapses immediately. So what if our creator, our God, our father was just that and created a universe where we would be? And what if he needed us? And what if it was such that he had a universe that was natural, not perfect, and they have immortality, they have um, everything solved, um, they've got um, health, peace, um, benevolence, everything, all the things we attribute to our God. And what if that is something where we were created as his children and we're supposed to make, seek and find, knock and it'll open, go to them to make a doorway where he joins us. In the early Old Testament, it talks about building the temple to exact specifications where he can fill it with his presence. What if we are that temple? What if we're supposed to build that exactly as he gives <laughs> at the right time that he may fill it? And is that not our time? And that's what I'm given to say and I don't have a choice. And that bowl exploding on the table like that, I didn't push it. It exploded, it was like a bomb going off. I think you heard it. So that to me says, this is my calling. The cup can be taken from me once I complete what I'm supposed to say. And I did see the face, I did. Please I describe that face to me. Absolutely, I actually drew it after I saw it. Unfortunately, I told the other side about it because that's when the provided wife was there just before she left. But I saw a face that's like ours, but it was sort of yellowed, sort of jaundiced. And there was a band that went across the front like this thick and it was sort of a gold, it was gold metal, but I don't know if it was gold. And then it had two round parts that didn't touch right to here back. Like they were laying on a table. It looked to me like a man and it wasn't an older man. It was like our ages. And then he's on the table. And then I saw the image of a ball, like a three balls that were like plasma or something. I don't know how to describe it. See, I'm like, now I'm like back in the Old Testament shoes where I don't know how to describe it. I don't have the words well, for it. Well, there, there isn't words in our language to describe what the spirit world is. We just really don't have words to describe it. So, you know, coming up with descriptions for things that are not physical is very, it's always been a challenge. So you're yeah, not unique in that. Yeah. And here I am given all this imagery, which I wrote the screenplay from the imagery I saw. Where does the Matrix story come from? Elysium, Oblivion, Sensate, all that, and um, Alder Carbon. It comes from the imagery I was given. And so I was writing from imagery. I saw the events unfold and I wrote what I saw. That's how the screenplay came to be with all the tech in it. So I saw the tech. So I described it the best I could. But in this, you'll see these three balls of light with this like, mechanical arms over it almost. And the, it, the knowledge that was given to me was that meant that we're supposed to make a bridge to them 
our creators, creator. So it's like, that sounds like now Hollywood's been doing this thing where they're going like, oh, if we open a portals, it's bad. There's evil on the other side of all portals are bad. That's what I want. But what if Hollywood actually knows all this and is claiming it for themselves, want to be gods in our world. And so they're shutting the door and everything on our own parents. All right, Tom, I got to bring in Jesse at this point. Jesse can speak directly to this. Okay, go ahead. Because this um, and is and I, I want to have a comment on what you uh, right. what you said about God as well. I think it'll be very unpopular, but that's where no, I'll Listen, I don't think you and I are going to disagree on this. In fact, I'm going to reinforce some of what you I'm disagree. surprised. I thought I'd lose you. I no, no. Uh, we're going to reinforce some of the things you've just said. Uh, I'm not going to speak for Jesse. I'm going to let her speak for herself, but she can well, talk I think about that's, portals and stuff. I think that's why the bowl exploded. That's my one job I have to do, apart from writing everything else. So I did it. I'm done. Go ahead. You're not done yet, um, but anyway, um, no. I was I was five years old in a ritual when I refused to participate in the ritual, and they threw me in the catacombs, and it was down in the catacombs. You know, I'm in the complete dark, and the Lord came to me, and the, I mean, the only way I can describe him is like it was like seeing a man walking towards me who was on fire, but he wasn't burning but he was like i mean there was so much light i could see everything and you know i felt safe i knew i knew it was the lord and he picked me up and he carried me through the catacombs and literally brought me to this door um he had knelt down at the door and told me that i had to go back out and he said to me ask of me what you will and I said, Lord, I want them all to come out. And, you know, I didn't want to go back out there, but the Lord opened that door and I walked out and I came out right in the sanctuary where the ritual had been occurring and I was behind everybody. And finally, you know, they were fighting, they were arguing, they were mad because the ritual was all messed up and somebody was going to pay because it mm-hmm. had been exactly as Satan had dictated it. I had ruined it all. And uh, so anyway, when they finally, they turned around and the high priest saw me and he said, how did you get there? And I said, the Lord let me out the door. Mm-hmm. And they're like, there is no door. And I, I showed him right where it was and he slapped me. And then, you know, my proctor did the same thing. How did you get there? I came out through the door, right? So Anyway, they ended up, the high priest was so mad, he had my proctor leave with me. Well, you know, it was like shortly, probably six months after that, they killed my training partner. He had been there at that ritual too. And, you know, 34 years, I thought he was dead. And then one day, you know, it's like the Lord has me start praying for this man, like not just praying, but I was interceding like two to six hours a day. Like when there, like this man did a lot of speaking and every time he was at a conference or engaging in something, the Lord had commanded me pray for him. So I, I did. And, um, anyway, it, you know, later the Lord revealed to me that my training partner wasn't dead, that that was him. And then the Lord told me to reach out to him. And so I wrote him letters and I was like, but God, how is he going to believe any of this? 
And do you know one of the proofs that the Lord gave me besides our ritual names was that I was to tell him that the Lord knew he saw him let me out that door. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. 34 years later, the Lord brought it back. You saw me let her out the door. You saw my face. So, you know, this is high level person in, in this Illuminati saw the Lord with his own eyes, saw this miracle. Like there's no way a child, you know, even as well as I knew the catacombs should have been able to get from point A to point B in complete dark. You know, I think they thought I opened up a portal and astro projected through it, (laughs) but I didn't, you know, I literally was carried through there. And, um, you know, I've seen the Lord's face, so I know. That's cool. Yeah, because in the screenplay, you just hit it. The little girl says she was carried out of the fire. The little mm-hmm. girl says that. So it seems like these synchronicities, these lineups are time-capsuled, where they release mm-hmm. in our time now, and they pop, 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 pop now. So it's like, this is the time. This shows that it's the time. Like the architect knowing, trying to outwit God, knowing exactly what's going to happen, every choice we're going to make, but then God outwitting the architect by allowing him to know that so that it works for his final solution of what the problems are. Yeah. Okay. So Tom, you did not lose friends here. Uh, we, we, we became closer as family, I would say. I have not given my public testimony on this show and I'm, and I'm not going to today. Um, when I do give my testimony, I, typically will only talk about from my time of redemption and going forward. But I will say that I was in such a place, I was so lost and I was a single father. I had a great, great life. I was living the dream and everything was getting stripped away from me and I was becoming desperate and desperate for money. And I was willing to do things that were not necessarily good for money. And God had made a promise on my life when I was about eight years old. And at this time, when I was ready to, I was really at a crossroads in life. God revealed himself to me. And I too saw him, but I didn't see his face uh, like you did. I was kind of in between what you and Jesse said. To me, it was just the light was so bright, I really couldn't look at it but it was undeniable. It was God. This is the middle of the afternoon. I'm by myself and I'm bawling my eyes out because he touched me in such a way that it could only be God. And, you know, we, you talk about who we are in God and what he's trying to do. Why is the world imperfect? And this is, I'm going, just going to go into a commentary here because Many people don't understand this. I I suspect most of our listeners do. But if we are truly made in God's image, we have to know the difference between good and evil. If we were just made to be perfect like he is, we would not know the difference between good and evil and we would not have free choice. That's why we live in a fallen world. It's actually for your eternal benefit that we live in a fallen world. 
we're at this point now and what we're covering with Tom here is just so spectacular because we're it's everything is coming to a head right now everything is being revealed the enemy is being revealed the enemy's plans is being revealed the wolves and sheep's clothing are being revealed whether it's the robertson whether it's jay sekulow whether it could be all kinds of people that have been entrusted positions i can actually name a lot of big night big name pastors in addition to robertson which i can tell you now i can prove by their own words are not doing God's will. So everything needs to be revealed. God is making that perfect place for us. And by the way, where's heaven? Well, I'll tell you, the first thousand years of his reign, it's right here on earth. We're going back to the garden, people. We're going back to the garden. And it's going to happen because God said it would happen. He is the architect. He is the one over all of this. He knows every choice we're going to make, but he allows us to make bad choices. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. There was only one who lived in a flesh suit who did not sin, and he died for our sins. God knows I'm going to sin again tomorrow, but God knows because I know him and his word that I am going to sin less every day, or at least I'm making the effort to sin less every day. And I challenge you to do that as well with me. Tom, we didn't get that far in the story today, but man, this has been explosive today, Tom. The stuff, And, you know, thank you for your comfortableness in coming out. This is a safe spot for you, Tom. This is a safe spot for you. I didn't expect to talk about it. I know I'm supposed to, and that's the only way the cup's taken. So, But that's why all that tech came. And I do feel it's the safe spot. It's the right spot. But there's a remnant out there, and that's what's in the screenplay, a remnant. And they're not going to the parties. They're not getting all the media coverage. They're out there feeling isolated, cut off, and alone with their piece of the puzzle. And And we are the remnant. We are the remnant. But I think you, you hit on a very you know, this is probably the most passionate part of my heart. You know, I was there in the heart of evil. And I can tell you, you know, from what I saw, what I experienced, how much, I'm going to try not to cry here, but no matter how evil people are, the the Lord loves them. Yes. He doesn't want them to perish, he knows what hell looks like. He knows what eternal separation that he has prepared for Satan and his minions looks like. And God does not desire that on anyone. And, um, you know, since I was little, I felt that call. I felt God's heart that he would give anything to see them come out. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what this really is about, you know, is preparing the way, being that voice that says, this is God's heart. And there's always that moment to turn away. You know, once you're dead, that's it, it's done. The decision is made. But until that moment, there's always that hope for those in darkness to come out. 
And that's our job. You know, what does it say about John the Baptist? You know, he would cry out in the wilderness. He cried out for these people to come out of the darkness. Mm -hmm. And the Lord desires to set the captives free. And we're on that brink of this end time harvest. You know, the entire book of Ruth talks about it, that, you know, Ruth lost her husband. She lost everything and was brought back to Israel. And what was her job? It was to go in the field and gather behind the servants who had already harvested. They already had gathered the grain. And she said, can I please, can I, can I gather the grain that's been left behind that that's lying on the ground, that's in the cracks, in the crevices. And it says that she came out and her apron was so overflowing that her mother-in-law Naomi was like, where in the world did you get this much grain? (laughs) You know, like she couldn't believe it how much there was. And, and that's the point that we're at. The harvest has come and gone. The first one, the, the people ahead of us have already plowed through the fields, but we're those who are coming in and we see the little pieces of grain stuck in the cracks. We see that along the fence line. We mm-hmm. see everything that's been left behind, but we've not ignored it and just walked past it. We, we've stopped and paused and said, God, I want that piece too. Mm. and our aprons are going to be massively full i love it that's that means a lot to me too i mean you're saying there both you guys because it's like in the matrix story in the immortals it says you know begin the harvest and it's like i I never understood why that was there why did i write that and it's like here these all come together all these pieces all these pieces that we come together now and it's like it it all ties now god was smart you know what he's doing yep absolutely Wow, what a show. Tom, Jesse, thank you so much. To the listeners, listen, write your comments. We're curious, good or bad. Uh, We want to know what you think. Um, Also, just a reminder, Thursday, by the way, Tom is going to be back on again next Tuesday. We're doing this every Tuesday, you know, until we get the entire story out there. And we, I have a feeling Tom's got a long way to go. <laughs> we're opening so many new okay. windows hey, every time it. we talk. <laughs> the other side hates it. This is great. I love it. Yeah. So, but just a reminder, Thursday, December 17th, we're having our very special musical program. It's an uplifting program. It's going to be premiering 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Right On Radio YouTube channel. It'll also be on Podbean. We're going to be interacting with you live. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be uplifting. There's going to be really no heavy heaviness on this, but it's going to it's going to be fun. The music, I'm told, is, is absolutely fantastic i have not heard it yet because i am going to judge it well i'm not going to judge it. i'm just going to pick a winner <laughs> you know to be honest but join us for that time so in the meantime love your god love your family love your neighbor and make a difference in your community right on right on right on Right on radio. Right on radio.